All right, so welcome to Debatable Effect Television Show, where we're going to deal with the biggest story that I think is hitting the NFL right now before we get to Big Waz, who will give us everything you need on the NBA and just his theories about um, various things that are varyingly um, controversial. But this Dan Snyder thing, Dominique, I mean, we're sitting here together, we're about to tape the show, and we're processing what Jim Ursay has been saying as it's unfolding, right? And so NFL owners meetings are happening right now in New York. We knew that part. What we didn't expect was to get for the first time, really, and I'm curious as to if you remember anything like this happening, another owner saying in front of a microphone that he believes they have maybe the 24 votes needed to oust Dan Snyder as owner of the Washington Commanders. And then a bunch of other stuff, too, but let's just start there. Like, what is, how big a deal is this? What are you thinking as you were just processing all of it? Um, I've been in those rooms. I've seen the owners, like, fight verbally and also threaten to fight each other physically never actually physically fight so like the fact that there's friction and tension between them is not new but they keep it all in-house normally and don't let it get out so this seems uh like deliberate obviously which is something you have to say when it's jim ursay because jim ursay uh is one to do things that are not always approved by the owners and i think it's it gives me a little so I, I have confidence that this is something that the owners have talked about and it's something that they wanted to put out there but it does concern me that it comes from this source but i guess i'm not surprised because he is the guy who you put out there if you want somebody to say investigate me to the cows come home yeah we already <laughs> we already know all the bad stuff there is to know about jim ursay so he ain't scared what you going to do? Tell the people about the time when they found pills in his car? Like, no, Jim Irsay is, like, he can't be embarrassed any more than he already is if he wasn't already embarrassed. So he's the right person to have this message. And who'd have known, who'd have ever thought that you need a loose cannon in even this crew? Every crew needs a loose cannon, and even the crew right. of the owners like, you know what? You know who we can put out there? <laughs> who can credibly say this and also not be fearful? Because the guess, I mean, the assumption is, and maybe I'm getting a little too Game of Thronesy and like no, no, I'm there with you, man. It's like the perception that I've created in my mind is these conversations on me were back room. It's like we need to send this message. Who's the right person to send this message? And everybody's shrunk in their chair because they fear that Daniel Snyder actually does have the dirt that the, the um dirt. the piece from ESPN, yeah, Don Van Natta and Seth Rogen and Tisha Thompson, Thompson yeah. it that that stuff is actually out there and that he will respond to whoever steps up and says whatever the bad thing is he'll respond by spilling all their dirty laundry but instead they put the guy out there Dude, who ain't had a hamper his whole life just I, slinging dirty laundry everywhere the dirt that was threatened has resulted in jim ursay showing up like arnold schwarzenegger covered in mud fighting the predator just like you think that you are going to scare me. I mean, yeah. I, 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 it does seem, right, like this is about an inter-owner conflict now. Right. Like, I, I do want to specify why it is that we're – because this is surprising that we got here, although the logic of why it is that he was the person who got us here is now clearer. The idea that they're actually going to maybe push the red button, Dominique. Yeah. Right? Like, so the backstory here is that not just that Dan Snyder has allegedly, reportedly been hiring private investigators to trail all of the people who matter in the NFL, fellow owners, Roger Goodell, et cetera, et cetera. People who were in 
the investigation, who were interviewed for the investigation, by the way, the serious investigation into workplace misconduct. He's been allegedly, reportedly trailing them too via this law firm and their private eyes. But the owner stuff stems from this idea that Dan Snyder told confidants that the NFL ownership whole situation is like a mafia. They all hate each other. And then one NFL owner anonymously tells Don Vendetta, no, we just all hate Dan. Yeah. And, and so, so is that is that what we're seeing? Is just that? I mean, I, yes, but I think we also need to take a step. I, I assume that everyone knows why uh, Jim Irsay, or excuse me, Jim Irsay, why Dan Snyder is even being discussed as someone Please. that they would vote out. It's because of the sexual assault accusations and workplace yep. misconduct. There was a settlement, a seven-figure yeah. settlement for that personal accusation against Dan Snyder, but then the conduct stuff, yeah, which is bigger right. and larger. Yeah, so running an organization that has all of these terrible things surrounding it, you would think is something that the owners would not want to be associated with or the league would not be associated with. But again, back to this Wickersham, Van Nata, and Thompson piece, it uh, spells out that actually, what while the owners don't love all that stuff, what actually has them really upset is that Dan, Dan Snyder does not have the political capital any longer to get a stadium built. And he's also in yes. probably one of the wealthiest markets in the country. And still is not one of the most profitable teams in football, which takes money out of all of their pockets. And so dead last, piece, dead yeah. last in gate. Revenue. Yeah, which yeah. is I, I, like, I feel like you could like mistakenly just because it's so much money in the D.C., Virginia, Maryland area that you could just like fumble into having making more money than the Jaguars. But no, he's still he's dead last. And that like upsets owners because that's more money that they could be getting. He can't get a stadium built in part, not because the political climate is too different, difficult, but because the politicians in the area do not want to be associated with him because that is something that people could use to campaign against them. It's like, you're the one who gave the guy who has this terrible organization, the money he needed to continue to bilk us. So like in the piece, it makes it clear that that's really what bothers the owners. And so they needed a reason to get him out and this could be it. And it's shocking because they never want to set this precedent that you can be voted out because then maybe they could be voted so, out. So this is, this is why the red button is so big and so red. Right. right. Everybody. I mean, it is. So this is the Game of Thrones dynamic, right? Yeah. It's a lot of people looking out for their own self-interests exclusively. Yeah. It seems the right. politicians who have their fingers on the scale in terms of can we give money to this guy? Currently, no. And you can draw a line to the journalism that's been done, the public pressures we talked about last week. But in this case, right, this was a story in the NBA, too. This is why Dan Snyder's name came up as soon as people were talking about Robert Sarver being effectively um, compelled to sell is that nobody wants to be compelled, forced, ousted themselves. And so what does it say to you that in fact, Jim Irsay is out here to wave his hand all around this, his mud covered hand all around this big red button? Yeah, I mean, it says to me that they uh, have, have reached that limit, that they're willing to take this risk. I mean, it said to me that when the piece came out that we've been referencing so much, that wasn't a mistake. Like, is, as much respect as I have for those award-winning journalists, yes, like, this excellent. was, yeah, this wasn't, this was not them hacking somebody's email or stand outside. Like, these were owners who said, don't use my name, but were perfectly willing to have this conversation and really wanted this piece out there. They've been trying to figure out how to, like, softly, I guess, like, usher 
Dan Snyder into selling soft his launching, franchise. soft yeah. launching the outside. I mean, they've been they've been giving him an opportunity, I think, to like try to walk away with some dignity and pride. This is the next step. And they keep stepping it up. The idea that they sat in a meeting. And so even if we were willing to say, nah, Jim Ursay just being wild and talking crazy, he would not do that at the owners' meetings in New York. He walked out of a meeting with all the rest of the other owners and stood in front of a bank of reporters and told them exactly what they all in that meeting presumably approved for him to tell them because they wanted to apply this pressure. So now, right now, they're going to give uh, Dan Snyder a couple more weeks, I guess, to make his mind up before they then do whatever the, the next phase of this process is. But it seems like it's written. They're going to run him up out of here. It's going to happen. So it does feel like, to your point, like we're seeing the veil increasingly come off. It goes from anonymity to the one guy who doesn't fear anything. And then the next step is what we await. And they're saying right now, they said after these meetings that like they have to wait for the Mary Jo White investigation, or that's at least the thing that is the next big domino. But you wonder what comes next. And you wonder, like you, you mentioned, like no one's hacking emails. You do wonder, like, all right, Dan Snyder, like a bluff is being called in some sense. Yeah. Like what you I got? Mean, what you also got? Also, we should not say no one's been hacking emails because the whole John Gruden thing was a connection to all of this where his emails didn't get hacked, but they got leaked. A very good point. Which, so, yeah, no one is hacking emails. But, yeah, this is uh, the owners pushing Ursay out there like, all right, we'll see what he does about this. And they're going to wait a couple of weeks to see if he, like, finds something new about Jim Ursay or not. And then some other owners are going to come out, whoever the, I guess the next guy is to – who to feel comfortable doing this before they finally get to the point, the next owners meetings, I'm not sure when they are. It's probably something we should have looked up, but it's probably not until Super Bowl time or something yeah, like I that. Yeah, I think it's like in, in, yes, next year, I believe March maybe, but we'll double check right. that. So they'll do that and then they'll uh, presumably vote him out at that point. Yeah. Or, and meanwhile, and, uh, I mean, I guess it doesn't mean it, the, it might stay in their family. It might transfer right. well, to this his is, wife. This is, it may not have to, the... to sell. This is the Donald Sterling model, right? Again, barring from the NBA, a league that has done this before. The NFL has never done this before. That's an important distinction, right? Like, that's uh, why you can look what, Oh, okay, Jerry Richardson, you're saying? Like, maybe that was no, something No, no, like no, no. Yeah, I mean, Jerry Richardson is something like this, but in the NBA model, they didn't actually vote. Okay, so this is this is exactly what I mean. It's sort of I mean, like, how voted, do you get... How do you get to pressing? Right? Yeah. Yes, they banned him for life from the league, but that did not mean that his team was taken away from him. And so again, like there's this big red button behind glass that nobody actually wants to put flesh on. But in the NBA, what they did with Adam Silver was we'll ban him for life and then we'll have him via his wife transfer ownership to to Dan, to Donald Sterling's wife as opposed to, you know, so now it's it's not his anymore. But but now I'm just like left. I mean, part of this is delicious, right? I mean, there's a lot of serious stuff underneath this, but a lot of this is just like I feel like the uh, like the scientist in Godzilla, where I'm just like, let them fight, you know? Like, yeah. go ahead, go see what. And you've been in these rooms, you've seen. I, I just I <laughs> I do want to like. How do you explain to people who have never been on the inside of a room with this exclusive, this uniquely exclusive club of people, what this Illuminati group is actually like behind closed doors. So, I mean, I think that like, out of respect for the, the setting and the presumed like privacy, I feel like there's some things that I should not share, but I will share this one thing that is very enjoyable. Jerry Richardson and Jerry Jones got into a bit of a disagreement um, and 
Jerry Richardson told Jerry Jerry Jones to like be quiet and sit down because he was talking too much. Jerry Richardson, excuse me, Jerry Jones. Jones said to Richardson, "Don't tell me to be quiet. I'll work you on the inside, you long arm son of a bitch." And balled, <laughs> and, and balled his fist up. <laughs> Jerry Jerry Richardson, who used to be a, a professional football player, also was not afraid. Unfortunately, we had a break before it escalated anything higher than that but yes uh, it's something i will never forget of all the many oh, jerry God. jones isms we heard i'll work you on the inside you long arm <laughs> son, son of a bitch it was so outstanding bad. outstanding um, and that's where i i do just want to chant jerry like i'm in jerry springer <laughs> show yeah i i think that i know draymond green is not our favorite guy right now because he punched jordan Poole. But this is where uh, the power of NBA players is so valuable in whatever you think about new media. It is a thing that Draymond Green uses to describe his podcast. It has some leverage and influence because he was part of the catalyst to finally push Sarver out because when he publicly said, vote on it. I think yeah. that was like that put the ball in their court. So like there is nobody in the NFL that has the same amount of power and influence or is willing to do that. But I feel the same way. Don't talk about it. Be about it. I well, don't care it, if you got 24 okay. votes, bring it up to vote and let us know who voted on it, who didn't so like this is Jim Ursay. Like I, I'm not for all these soft launches. Press the button. If you got it, yes. if you got the weapons, press the button. If this is not, as you said, as Jim Mercer said, if this is not what you stand for in the NBA what we or in the NFL, what are we waiting on? You could have voted today. Y'all was all in the room. <laughs> so, Dominique, we had one request of Alabaster, and that was to bring us the biggest was you can find with the NBA <laughs> season upon us. And here, we, here he is, as advertised, was. Welcome. Uh, Welcome back. So, Al Alabaster, let's talk basketball. Um, we should say transparently was that we are doing this before the two games mm -hmm. on Tuesday night because you know we are we're long range long term thinkers who do not get swayed by the day to day. We're here to talk about the right. biggest picture stories, Alabaster. That's right, um, and I think we should start with the finals teams from last year because they both had chaotic off seasons in different ways. And my question to you is, who do you have more faith in to get back to the finals, the Celtics or the Warriors? It's how will you deal with this drama? Because both these teams are very talented. So I guess the question to me boils down to, like, who's in a tougher conference and how will you deal with the off-the-court stuff? And since the Warriors are not actually losing anybody as a result of their off-the-court mm -hmm. transgressions, and both conferences are, seem to be tough as hell, like, I lean more to the Warriors making it back than I yeah, do I, to the very flawed um, Celtics. Yeah, was to me, I go Warriors immediately and wholeheartedly here. What do you mm. say? I mean, I think the competition that the Warriors are going to face is better, appreciably better, right? Um, I actually think, you know, <laughs> I, I, I often hate on NBA hipsters online, and I've become one myself this season because I picked the Denver Nuggets to pick the finals. I mean, oh, to go to the finals. And I think I think Denver is a championship level team. I think obviously Golden State should be the favorite. A lot of people, other hipsters are going Clippers 
here yep. um, to go to the NBA Finals. And, you know, Phoenix has the talent, if not uh, they're dealing with their own internal issues. And, you know, I think those four teams are, like, really formidable teams. Whereas in the East, to be honest, I, I only take Milwaukee seriously. Okay, so I'm going to grant you that. I, I'll just take it from this perspective, this question. I think the Warriors are just the better team than the Celtics. Yeah. And I know the Celtics defense is incredible. I know that the defense is is as advertised and should be despite all of the chaos. But when I look at the Warriors and the fact that they have, I mean, depth is not the reason they're going to make a run to the finals, but it's the reason why I think they can survive the regular season with less wear and tear, I hope, if they're going to sort of manage these guys for the long run. I, I just... I just love the I love that team. Well, I, I mean love I, that team. I think they're the best team in the NBA still. I'm concerned for that team because Draymond is an integral part of that team and Draymond was up and down on the court last year. So I think the question there is Wiseman. But hold on. So we're trying to answer this question, right? Who is more likely? Who do you have more faith in to get back to the Celtics. finals, the Celtics or Warriors? These teams in the East, I, I I just to me, I think the Celtics if if they could let Robert Williams play for He's hurt. Of like four four games per series, just about four games per series against all of these teams. <laughs> I think they're gonna be completely fine against them. I truly do. I think the Celtics defense is going to be time. fine if Robert. I know, but here, but where Waz is and right is that the coach. Okay, well, the whole, I mean, so here, okay, we do so, got to talk about Joe Missoula. So, and, so you know, he would never be invited to um, Satrial's. Um, <laughs> Joe Missoula is both a confusing Google image search and also a candidate for a head coach because none of us had ever thought about him in that way until Brad Stevens came out very forcefully in favor of him at that press conference where he also said that his current head coach is about to be suspended for the whole year. So I don't know. I mean, was I truly don't know like the basketball mechanics of whether that even matters that much, right? Like, mm. what is your sense of? Truly, uh, take out one guy it, who just okay. came to the finals and replace him with a head coach that we have no idea who he is. Ime Udoka, let's just get that out the way. He's fired. He's effectively gone. Yes. He's never going to coach the Celtics again. That's not like you can't suspend an NBA head coach for a year. That's not a thing that you can do and have a guy come back and tell people to run wind sprints. That ain't happening. Like, bruh, like I make 10 times as much as you and you just got suspended for being too horny. Bye. Get out of here. I don't listen to you. Um, and so he's never coming back to that team, right? Uh, however, he he found answers, coaching answers, schematic answers for this team. Like the stuff that, and again, I don't know if this was him, his staff um, in conjunction with him, collaboration, where they did the Robert Williams really close to the basket as a rover stuff, yeah. the heavy switching scheme. Like a lot of the stuff that were improvements were schematic improvements. So Usually we give that credit to the coach, right? And so I think a lot of the answers that they're going to need going forward, specifically on the offensive end um, and making some type of continuity-based offense um, and ingratiating these new guys like Malcolm Brogdon um, and the like is going to take like some coaching. So I wonder, I don't know. I don't know why I should think Joe Missoula is going to do that. Yeah. Would not do that. So, yes, Dominique, I said I'm going to ding my own piss. I, I know. It. So you're agreeing with me now in this stupid debate. Thank you. I'm but, happy. But, the way about, but, but if we're just going to help each other make better arguments while we ourselves make worse arguments, we could also point out that all you need is a good half season. Right? Like the Celtics, that was their story last season. 
Right. right. That was the that's joke. So... But it wasn't that good, Pablo. It was historically yeah. great. And that's the, the thing. End. That's the thing. Fair. This is this is the the football analogy is is um that Josh Allen improved from his third to fourth year to or second to third year to one of the best quarterbacks in football and he fixes accuracy. Never happened before, never gonna happen again. This is the he same said, thing. You're he, arguing that last year we had a first year head coach who the um, schematic changes that you pointed out, you're much more basketball savvy than I am, are important. But much of the things that I heard about uh, Udoka's presence was about um, challenging them and making them slightly tougher. And it, maybe it's true or false, but assuming that you are going to have in back-to-back -back seasons, two coaching prodigy aberrations, because what Udoka did last year was probably the most, he wasn't coach of the year, but it was still probably the most successful or most impressive coaching feat of the season last season in his first season. Y'all trying to argue to me that they're going to bring in another guy who they did not go out and select for this purpose, who just happened to be in the building along the process, and he going to do the same thing? Or this team's not going to at least fall off some? No, I, I can't have it. This is what I would suggest, Dominique. I would suggest that their playoff medal, because I think that's a real thing for Ooh, basketball teams, yeah. and the continuity that they're bringing back of people who actually did these hard things in the playoffs, saw themselves perform those things, I think that's going to matter and can overcome, okay. you know, novice coaches. Shouts to um, Joe Mazzulla again because he's on a le he's from a legendary college basketball team. But the thing that's so funny about coaches, right, is we can criticize Joe Mazzulla, we can criticize Ime Yodok in all of these ways. It's really funny to me as I realize this now, like the top four teams in the East by popular consensus are the Nets, are the Sixers, are the Celtics, and the Bucks in some order. Three of those four teams have coaches that we all would not be surprised to find not coaching these teams next year, right? Steve Nash is coaching the Nets. Doc Rivers is oh, coaching Joe the Sixers. Rivers, Joe yeah. Mazzula is coaching the Celtics, right? Mike yeah. Budenholzer, like the boring Get ass them booties. Bucks. I'm just, I, if you're going to make an argument on coaching, the boring yeah. ass Bucks being anti-dramatic is, is a pretty solid limb to stand on. Well, since you guys are on the coaching part of this i think we should pivot to the warriors part of it because i have a quote from steve kerr on draymond's punch where he said this is the biggest crisis that we've had since i've been the coach here it's really serious stuff i would relate steve kerr's comments honestly i would attribute them mostly to him being really the most sick of draymond green's crap of everybody <laughs> yes. in the organization but guess what like in the nba finals the last three games of the finals, he was incredible. He was the best Plus. defensive player on the floor, of course. He's still the offensive connector, sort of de facto point guard type of guy on the team. Like, he has real value. They don't, they straight up do not beat the Celtics without Draymond. No, last year. but to put a button on this topic, I am going with the Warriors, despite the fact that Steve Kerr is probably going to go insane by the end of the season. Cool. Celtics, Celtics. I think they're more likely to make it back to the finals. I think they're the most talented team in the conference. I think Joe Mazzulla is going to figure out how to deal with having the most talent. Oh, it's Great. Steve Kerr problem, being too good. All right, next topic. <laughs> Which small market team that went all in is more likely to break through this year? The T-Wolves or the Cavs? So first off, shout out to the T-Wolves and the Cavs for being like actually good teams. Like mm -hmm. I, the jokes that I want to make, and there are jokes here, are not about whether they're worthy. It's about actually like two teams that even NBA hipsters are going to love and, and even NBA mainstream fans are going to love even more, I think.
I go Cavs on this. I go Cavs. And uh, and I, I say that, Dominique, because I want to out hipster you before you get to out hipster me. Mm-mm. Evan Mobley, man. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Waz, I don't know if like he has had the platform. I don't know if he's sufficiently platformed Evan Mobley yet. But that dude is a seven foot guard. And as much as like we're gonna talk about Wembanyama and the alien revolution, he has some alien in him. Yeah. And I feel like he's gonna be an enormous difference maker for this team. And don't you dare compare anybody to my man Victor Wimby. You stop it immediately. You get out of here with that blasphemy. He can handle, he can play defense, he can do oh, a lot of the gosh. things. He's just seven feet tall instead of seven foot four. Uh, yeah. I, Bill over at the job, of course, he's he's hugely into Evan Mobley. So he's been kind of um pushing that agenda pretty pretty strongly here. I'm going to pick the Timberwolves and it's for Anthony Edwards. I just yeah. think he's the guy on either one of those teams that I look at that has the ability to just detonate, you know, become a 30 point a game scorer, live in the paint, live at the line, punish people when they sag off of him. Uh, I think, man, there were times against John Morant on defensive possessions in the playoffs last year where this dude looked like he was damn Scottie Pippen Mm -hmm. out there. So for me, it's absolutely the Timberwolves, although I love I love what the Cavs have assembled. Um, I think, you know, the framework of the deal that they could put together to go get Donovan Mitchell just made way more sense than every other competitor including the Knicks who like they would have stunk up the joint by having done that deal um, and handicapped themselves in the process. And so while I love what Cleveland's doing, I just think Ant Edwards is the most special of everybody um, on wow. both those teams. Okay. That's, mind. that's I really so, that. I, so both teams added a jazz and the jazz are notorious for stinking in the playoffs and like one of these guys gets played off the court most of the time and rudy gobert and the other guy is a smaller guard who doesn't play defense so i I think part of it is arguing which addition is going to be more valuable and to me it's also a question of like which addition is going to hurt their team less in the playoffs because i think they both probably get to the playoffs and um yes I agree that, with that. That's like the question is an outstanding question. Let me put it, put that out there first. Let's be clear. A magical question. But it's vague when you ask about breakthrough. So, like, I don't know what we mean by breakthrough. I think I, I'm imagining 50 who wins. Has, is 50 wins yeah, a breakthrough? I, I don't, I mean, I guess. I, I absolutely. Think, no, that, that has to be at the very least. The question yeah. is like whether you give them well, credit then in for that like case, sniffing in, it. In that case, it's easy. I'm going with, um, with the Timberwolves to me. Because the question, what Rudy Gobert's value is in the regular season and his defensive of impact yeah. on the team is something that I think is much bigger than like adding Donovan Mitchell to a team that I don't really think necessarily like Darius Garland's pretty damn good. So like it's not as mm-hmm. if they're making a major upgrade. The problem is Cat is not good on defense or not as good as big he is. He's not as good as his size suggests he should be. So adding Rudy Gobert into that mix I think improves the Timberwolves much more in the regular season than adding Donovan Donovan Mitchell does to the Cavs. So if 50 wins is the breakthrough, give me the T-Wolves. If a well, running the playoffs uh, is a breakthrough then we have to reassess this. So, so Dominique has found his edge in answering the question, which is he's focusing on the win total as opposed to postseason success. I didn't find I, my edge. You gave it to me. I do. I you do. You gave it I, to me. You said fifty wins. I need I, to take the. I need to take the edge off. I need to take the edge off because Waz, the big question here is about Rudy Gobert in the playoffs. Like, what's different now, right? The idea that he can stay on the floor and he won't be X's and O's off of it 
How does this change in Minnesota, do you think? I think the difference is that Minnesota has not surrounded him with minus defenders at every other position <laughs> in the way that Utah did. Um, Utah straight up was like, we know Rudy Gobert is by far the best defensive player in the NBA. Or not, I shouldn't say by far. He's clearly the best, right? Um, you know, indicating from his all of his uh, awards and stuff. We're going to stress test that by just having nothing but the worst <laughs> defenders possible to goose our offense. Because a lot of times they went went out in the playoffs because, you know, uh, they, they, they were just breaking open jump shot after open jump shot. And it was like to mitigate that, since we have Rudy and he's so great, let's just focus on making our offense better, focus on our shooting. And they did that. They were putting out top 10 offenses every single year, top five offenses, all of that. They, they were incredible at times on offense, like really, truly beautiful to watch. The problem was, you know, you get in the postseason and, and Reggie Jackson is cooking your five out, okay? <laughs> I'm talking about two dribbles and this guy is getting a layup at the basket, okay? Like, when look, God bless Reggie Jackson. He's a good player. I'm happy for him um, and all that he's achieved in his life. He should not be smoking a professional defense in the playoffs. A set defense in the playoffs, Reggie Jackson just takes two, two dribbles to get a clean look. That's absurd. And so Conley, Mitchell, uh, Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal was basically the best defender they had. And like, bro, yeah. Royce, he's fine. He's, he's, he's not good. He's fine. Right. I think Minnesota has way more competence there but, when it comes to defenses. So Rudy won't be as exposed on that end. But I don't think that that like answers the question that Pablo was presenting. Rudy doesn't get played off the court in the playoffs because the defense is so bad. He gets played off the court in the playoffs because they don't have to guard him on the offensive end. So like figuring out a way to make Rudy Gobert not a, a minus on offense is the real question. Like I don't think uh, so I would disagree. I would slightly disagree with that. Okay. I, I think if Rudy's defense can be neutralized by the fact that teams can spread Utah out, put Rudy in a corner somewhere, or if he doesn't stay on that guy in the corner, the defenders are so bad that Rudy has to commit and therefore leave the corner guy open, right? Like, if you're going to mitigate Rudy's ability to that extent, yes, it makes no sense to play him anymore because mm -hmm. he's not going to do anything on offense. I think he's on a team that's going to allow his talents to actually be utilized. So, that's what I think I guess, the and this is, this is why you have coaches and they make these decisions, but what I don't understand is how, in this modern age of basketball, are you going to have two big men, one who can't play defense uh, all that well, and the other one who, you, who like, can't play offense all that well. So, like, if you put Rudy out there with four wings that can play defense, then maybe you can survive with him on the offensive end because those wings can make up for that. Like, they can shoot, they can run, they can whatever. But, like, thinking that you have a big man out there, if a team goes small on them, what are they going to do with well, two I guess the big question, men on well, the well, floor here's the question. Uh, well, that, and the question. Well, the question I have then, was is like, does Cat really play all that big, right? Like in terms of like what that's they not the, That's not the question. That, I mean, I'm no, sorry no, to cut you off. I think, look, okay. what I'm saying, Dominique, is they have guys that can stop people at the point of attack. Right. Where Utah had zero 
Zero. So I guess this <laughs> it is, doesn't matter what your big no, man I, defense I think you're right. is. But to simplify my question, it's like if you go against a team that plays small, you would normally mm-hmm. put Cat on the biggest guy, which does not mm-hmm. like allow him to be as exploited. Now, you put Cat on a four <laughs> against a small lineup and get him like wore the hell out on the perimeter, or you make Cat. Try to play the big guy, which then puts him in the rim protector situation, which keeps Rudy Gobert from doing what he does best. So, like, coaches that are smarter than me may be able to figure out how to run a Twin Tower system in the modern NBA. But if your Twin Towers are so obviously flawed on opposite ends of the court, I'm not sure that they don't cancel each other out. I just don't see how it works. But we'll see once the season plays. But, but there is a trade-off. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we should go to the Cavs in a second here. But, like, the trade-off seems to be, was that, like, okay, there is a disadvantage to having Cat try and, like, roam the perimeter defensively. But then on the other end of the floor, like, he should be able to eat, right? Like, that would be the trade-off of playing small against the Minnesota Timberwolves, the version of them yeah. this year. Good point, because Cat's yeah, always been known career, for backing people really down. Yeah. Po- as he, early in his career, he was a pretty good post-up player. Now, you know, he's rightfully fallen in love with his jump shot. He's one of the most efficient jump shooting bigs we've ever seen. He believes um, he's the best we've ever seen. But, you know, and, and again, that's that's part of it, too. So we can say, like, oh, Rudy got to do this, Rudy got to do that. I mean, the guys around him have to be basketball players. Right. Like, Cat, like, if if they switch a 6'3 guy on you while playing small ball, that's you have to I kill mean. that guy. Yes. You have to murder him. On on live on TNT or ESPN, whoever is broadcasting. Hire you. Yes. a good and lawyer make and do, cover do their what you kids' gotta eyes. <laughs> Give the NBA an NC seventeen rating. Uh, that's, that's what right. we want you to do. That's right. Can we edit a photo of just Carl Anthony Towns uh, like sticking a trident through the chest <laughs> of uh, Reggie Jackson, please? No problem. I'm, we're on that. Um, Great. So I I think it's all this stuff about Cat is fascinating, and what's fascinating about it partially is for the Timberwolves to reach their ceiling, it's he's their number two option. And that's, that's really interesting because he's so skilled offensively. And if Anthony Edwards becomes a guy, this team could actually be really good. But I do want to pivot to the Cavs for a second because I want to ask you all if we've co- collectively started to undervalue Donovan Mitchell. I know Knicks fans feel they dodged a bullet in not trading for Donovan Mitchell. Many Knicks fans are saying that. And with the Cavs, we're talking about as this guy who's like a sieve defensively, but he's really strong, really athletic, long arms, and he's a guy who has scored in the upper 20s, scored, had 50-point playoff games. Every team wants a closer who can score in isolation at the end of playoff games. Didn't they get that along with Darius Garland? Shouldn't we be more high on this pairing? No, 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 no. no. This, that's that. No, Donovan Mitchell <laughs> is not being underrated. That's that's ridiculous. He's if, throwing playoff if, metal if, back if, in if your Donovan face. Donovan Mitchell was, were the kind of guy who could get to New York tomorrow and turn them into a legitimate top five, top four type of seed, then he would have been worth what Ainge was asking the Knicks for. He's not. He's now on a team that had two all-stars last year, and Evan Mobley is going to be a perennial all-star. So he's not going to be asked to carry that type of load. He's rated properly, okay? Like, he got embarrassed by Spencer Dinwiddie in the playoffs. He Jalen Brunson got a contract <laughs> by playing against this dude, okay? He's not being underrated. Like, he is being properly rated, okay? Like, we watched what you did. In, like, again, he's been one of the most efficient postseason scores we've seen not very elite at playmaking but when it comes to scoring he's shown an ability to do that and guess what 
on this team, he ain't got to play make. He won't have that burden because he ain't that type of guy. Garland's going to do all of exactly. that. Exactly. And his defensive, defensive deficiencies will be masked by the likes of Jared Allen and the aforementioned Evan Mobley. So, no, he ain't underrated. He rated. <laughs> he's, he's rated. I, I cannot add anything else to that. Perfectly answered. I love the Cavs. I just think I just think it's a they got a nice team. It's a fun. It, it's the thing of like, and I say this as somebody who's obviously been rooting for a Sixers team that had terrible fit. I'm like, oh, all the puzzle pieces mm, yeah. actually come together. Yeah, you just see it. You see it. All those efficiencies. I, by the way, just Jared Allen, Alabaster. Oh. Like, I, I just love. I just love that DeAndre Jordan got picked over him in Brooklyn, and then he went to the Cavs, became an All Star, and is now going to like anchor like a team that's going to contend in the Eastern Conference. It's just, of And course, then those same guys right. who, who forced him out wanted to fire the GM for having done it. <laughs> that's right. it's, it's amazing. God bless the NBA. <laughs> speaking of which, yeah. speaking of which. I mean, yeah. worth noting, uh, the Cavs had a top five defense before Jared Allen broke his finger, and that fell off to prove his value. But, yeah, uh, let's move on to – the guys who are traded for one another, both of whom are on theoretical contenders and have a lot of pressure coming into the season. But who do you think has more pressure on, pressure on them to succeed this year, James Harden or Ben Simmons? James Harden. <coughs> James Harden. I mean, I I get all of the existential, and this is an appropriate use of the word, Dominique. Thank you. All of the existential pressure on Ben Simmons. There are major questions about him which we can talk about, and I'm not going to spin them. I think there are major questions. But James Harden is the key to a team that people are picking to win the title. James Harden is somebody who has real questions around whether the postseason where we saw him again, like shit a California king-sized bed, is going to be the prologue to a regular season where he needs to be the best version of the new version of himself. James Harden, to me, has everything riding on him. I think the right answer is James Harden, in part because this is his last chance to address this particular part of his legacy. Like He's considered an all-time great scorer who falls apart in the playoffs. This is his last opportunity. Ben Simmons has plenty more opportunities, and he's on a team that I think has proper expectations of him, as he's not a big three, big two type of guy, which the 76ers oh, yeah. had him, what? They had him like he was going to be the the guy guy he's not that guy so i think that we're asking less of him and that's a fair thing what we're asking less of ben simmons but if the if and the nets a, do not have him as a top three player this year then something has gone horribly wrong yeah well i guess i'm imagining when you talk about big three we focus so much more on the offensive end of the court so yeah maybe he's their third best player but i i don't think that he's going to be considered but anyway that's all semantics the point is he has a lot longer to address his resume and he's in a more suitable situation and they're going to be asking less of him james harden if things don't work out this year, as he's taking pay cuts in order to make things a little easier on himself, then I don't know. Uh, he's going to go down as this guy who can't do it in the playoffs. Here's the thing about James Harden, though. Um, he, when it's all said and done, we, he will have had about like $400 million in NBA earnings alone. Another however many hundreds yeah, Adidas. from Adidas. Ain't no damn pressure on James Harden. I'm sorry. It's not It's not pressure. It is. Okay? The pressure is on Ben Simmons. Like, you have to actually prove that you were worth all of the goddamn guff. <laughs> everybody who's ever been involved with you 
has experienced. Uh, like, are you worth all of this crap? Are you actually a star level type of player? Is your next deal going to be indicative of that person who was breaking wide open layups the last time we saw you play meaningful basketball games? I don't know. I think he's the one with the pressure because he's going to be in a situation where he's going to actually be asked to do things. And sometimes it's going to be things that he doesn't excel at. Okay. And that's the difference to me. It's like Ben Simmons, like, bro, like, you, you, James Harden did embarrass himself. However, there are times where he's still doing the things that people say that he's good at, or I shouldn't say people say, but like the playmaking, making an open shot, etc. Ben Simmons was just a straight up non entity the last time we saw him play, where it was like, oh, he's doing a pretty good job against Trey Young. He stopped doing that at the end. It was like bad. And so to me, it's got to be Ben Simmons because like, at a certain point, not making six footers and not being able to make a free throw and all these excuses and shooting with the wrong hand and it's it's just like this act is 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 wearing people thin. I'll just say I'll just say about Simmons real quick, okay? Right? Like the fit was I this is this is where I okay, so I'm gonna make fit. I'm gonna make an argument um on behalf of Ben that maybe undercuts the argument I had that suggests that James Harden has more pressure on him. I will say that if Ben Simmons does not make this team work for him, I'm off the island. Oh, right. I'm just mm. so optimistic about him mm. because everything he can't do, they can do. If you gave me a genie lamp and I'm Ben Simmons and you said, what do you wish for? I'd say, I want to play with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and Joe Harris and Seth Curry and Patty Mills and Royce O'Neal and all of these guys who can shoot threes and play enough defense around the perimeter to make me look like the best version of myself. The question that he has to answer is, are you confident enough to be aggressive such that you are a difference maker on offense, which means that you're going to get fouled? Are you confident enough to be aggressive to the point where you take free throws at the end of games? That's the whole, that's the keystone to the Nets question to me. Let me, let me tell I'm, you something, Pablo. I'm optimistic, Waz. I'm, I'm not allocating resources to Ben Simmons with the ball in his hands. Nobody's going to help stick a paint, a foot in the paint. Nobody's going to do none of that. If When Ben Simmons has the rock in his hand and he's attacking somebody one-on-one, -on -one, I've won as a defense, and I'm sticking to everybody else. And guess what? If he does get into an area where it looks like he foul him, that's it. Get out of here. He's done. I do want to ask you about, though, is the Victor Wembenyama sweepstakes, because that's looming over the season in a really interesting way. We think a lot of teams are going to tank, and we know a lot of teams will tank. But there's also more competitive teams with talented rosters than we've maybe ever seen, seen in the NBA right now. And I want, want to know from you guys, how do you think Wemby's presence is going to shape this season? So the shape of the season, I'm going to go full nerd here, um, because usually like the NBA is a bell curve, right? I know this is a loaded graph to bring up, but it's a bell curve. <laughs> two black men. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Hello. But, but there's there's supposed to be a healthy, a healthy rotund middle, and then you have the contenders on one side, the worst teams tanking on the ends. This season is a barbell, right? Like the middle class is kind of thin, but you have a lot of contenders, and you have a lot of teams, like a third of the league, that's going to be really legitimately tempted to tank. And I think it's going to be a really, I, I was going to say weird, but it's probably too gentle. It's going to be an, 
at times um, just horrible product in like March. <laughs> like it's gonna get early, it's gonna get worse earlier than we're used to. But I also think the reason for the shape is the is the gravitational field exhibited by yeah Victor Wembanyama specifically. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead I'm Wolf. not worried about the impact too much because of the flattening of the lottery odds. I really do think it's just like, all right, man, I get in this top five and six, I can kind of coast uh, to, to, to whatever it is that I'm going to be. And, you know, even the teams that I think are going to be pretty bad, like the Houston Rockets have interesting players on their team and they have really cool storylines developing. And so outside of San Antonio, Whatever OKC is doing, um, Utah. And I'll never get tired of saying this. Like the the stealth tanking, but not even stealth, and they get none infuriating. of infuriating. It's infuriating. Was that so? That I have been criticized. Investigate me. that. I have SGA been criticized thing. more than Sam Presti has, and I'm not no, a GM. Seriously, seriously, the the SGA thing where they're just like, yeah, we're telling them to get the procedure done right before the season, even though our season ended like seven months ago. It's weird. <laughs> That's legitimately weird. A little suspicious. The timing of that. Um, so besides them, San Antonio and Utah, everybody else has like I'm not worried about it because they have young, interesting players. And even if they do do some level of chicanery, we're still gonna be watching young guys develop. And young guys don't produce wins, but they're gonna, you know, every now and again, there's gonna be young guys that do some things like, wow, that might pretend to something positive in the future. So outside of those big three um, terrible teams, <laughs> I think everybody else who's gonna be in the mix for this, Indiana, Charlotte, they're gonna have compelling things happening with their team. So I'm not too depressed about the Wembenyama um, sweepstakes. I just want the teams who are like trying their hardest to get him to not get him, which is going to be a disappointment Same. for me Same. because I'm sure that they have gamed the odds. Same. They got extra draft picks. They're going to lose as much as they can. They're probably going to change. I think what is it like almost 15% is like the highest odds you can get with one single 14, 14, 14.9, I believe. Okay. Yeah. That's the highest odds you can get with one pick. And these guys are going to go out there and game it so much. I just don't, I don't know. Re rewarding this foolishness bothers me. It always, has Me and too. uh and the the penalty in football like it doesn't work because you the team the roster is just too big for you to be able to just intentionally suck and build this terrible culture and also like it's too difficult one quarterback's not going to fix the team but in basketball like the logic is actually there to get a great player and then build up around them so it sucks they have tried to make it so it's less enticing but it's still enticing and i really hope that the Jazz don't get them, and uh, OKC yes, and the yes, Rockets. I hope you me, don't get them. I those, are the two, those are the two I, teams I want, for me. I'm not, root, I'm not rooting for an injury or anything on, on any of these top teams, but maybe a coach could but hold uh, on, hold on, could hold on. retire midseason or something, and they could just think, and we can get on a if, good team. If you want maximum spite, though, like the way you actually want this to play out is for the Jazz to get him instead of the Thunder. Because Sam Presti has been doing this for years, okay? He's had picks stockpiled for years. If Danny Ainge swoops oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You in and loses you want for me to most of a you season asking me to root and takes for... him away from Sam Presti, no, that's, no, that's I can't, I nope. can't root for the because the calling Danny Ainge a genius. Mm -mm. For, oh, he's <laughs> oh, he's such a master negotiator. Oh, he's so tough. Oh, he just fleeces every team. Oh, Danny Ainge. Oh, Danny, he's so good. Oh, 
oh, Danny, how'd he do it, Danny? Oh, <laughs> Danny boy. What? <laughs> sick of it. Yeah. I'm, so I'm, no, I don't want to yeah. see. So no, I don't want to see that. And he also is still tanking. Detroit. I'd love to see oh, yeah. Indiana. Oh yeah. I'd love to see that happen. Um, please don't end up in Utah or the Prairie. Oh gosh. Yeah. I'm looking. Yeah, Charlotte. I'm. I really like Charlotte to get him. Get you him. Michael Charlotte. Jordan. You want Michael yeah. Jordan? Yeah. Michael Jordan to bully this kid. Yeah. That's what fine. Go right in. What I've heard about Victor is he'll be all right. He can handle himself. Yep. I would like to see him matched up with the ball, and it'll be great. Uh, well, there's only one ball left that's healthy and can play. Oh, that's so sad. Oh yeah. LiAngelo, what a run. Yeah. Portland, I like how we've mentioned New Angelo Ball oh, as often as LeBron James on this show, by the way. Um, Waz, do you want to plug anything, by the way, before you are freed of your responsibilities here? Not really. Just check us out on the Ringer NBA show. I, I got two podcasts on there, so just make sure you subscribe to the Ringer's NBA feed. I'm sure if you watch anything sports, you already subscribe to Simmons. I go on there every single, um, every now and again. So, uh, of course, check me out on, on Bill's show. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, yeah, that's a kind, a kind thing to uh, to endorse your boss who needs no help at all. <laughs>